being whole is something we all want. We should desperately want that for our lives and the people around us. I, I look at my kids and my grandkids, and I want that definition for them. I want them to be free from injuries and free from wounds. I want them to be healed and, and physically and mentally sound in everything that they do. That should be a burning desire in our hearts. And most of the problems we encounter in life are because wholeness is missing on somebody's part. Whether it's inside of us or inside of the people that we're interacting most of the problems we will experience is because somebody's been wounded. Or they're not sound in their lives. They're not, they're not thinking straight. They're, they've had something happen to them that's traumatized them. Whatever it may be, that generates a lot of problems. And God doesn't want that for us or anybody else. If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like I'm in a complete place of wholeness, everything is great in my life, take notes to help somebody else then. Because I guarantee that as soon as you walk out the door today, or before you walk out the door, you will meet somebody that's broken in some way that desperately needs the wholeness that Jesus has to offer. And we function best when we are whole in every aspect of our lives, every part of our being. And to start this series off, I felt like I needed to take a few minutes just to talk about who God is and what he desires for us. And uh, a core tenet of Christianity is that there is only one true God. For, for those of you that are theologically minded or, or a little bit nerdier, the word is monotheism. And you're wondering, how is monotheism going to tie into something practical in my life? But that is what we believe. That's what defines us as Christians. That's what sets us apart from a lot of the other religions. We believe there is only one true God. The, the, the Hebrew Shema, is the oldest recorded prayer in Jewish history. The Hebrew Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Come on, that is part of the fundamental tenets of what we believe, that there is one true God. And we're introduced to him powerfully right in the beginning of the Bible. Come on, how many of you have read the first part of the Bible and it says right there, In the beginning, God. And then it goes on to describe all these powerful things he does. He speaks and light appears. The stars come into existence. Animals begin to flourish. The seas are formed. And we're sitting there reading the story and we're thinking, that's the guy. I'm, I'm on his side, as we heard this morning. He's in my corner. He fights on my behalf. We start looking at that story and we think, this is awesome. There's one true God and I know who he is. He's on my side. And then right before he gets to the pinnacle of his creation, he's getting, he's getting ready to do something that is different than what has been seen on the earth so far. He stops and he makes this statement. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image. And some of us, we read that and we're like, Say what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it's that guy, he's so powerful and he's doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he's talking to himself. What, what does he mean? Let us make man in our image. Did you ever stop and think about that? This, this is a paradox of Christianity. This is the first mention in scripture of the concept that we call the Trinity. How many of you know that word? You know, that's, that's a very common word that almost everybody knows. The Trinity means that we believe that God really exists as one God in three different persons. And that, the word Trinity is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. You can get your concordance out. You can read from front to back. You will not find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the evidence of it is throughout Scripture. 
It's, it's plain to see that he exists and moves as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This concept of him being one, but still being three. And we don't understand that sometimes, how it works, but God is in perfect harmony with himself. And if you're wondering where is the best picture of the Trinity in the Bible, I just wanted to give it to you real quick this morning in Mark chapter 1 and verse 10. This is the best picture of the concept of the Trinity and the evidence for it. Jesus went to get baptized by John the Baptist. It says, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being opened, torn open, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. All three parts of the Trinity were standing there on display in a way that man could comprehend. There's Jesus the Son standing in the middle of the river. There's God the Holy Spirit descending like a dove onto him. And there's the Father's voice coming out of heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Isn't that an amazing picture of something that's not explicitly spelled out in Scripture? There's no word Trinity in there anywhere, but there it is right in front of our eyes. We, we think about, well, which one of those is God? Yes. All three. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. I I think some of the lessons we can take out of this this concept of the Trinity, you know it's okay to talk to or to sing to any part of God. Sometimes we get so caught up, like, well, is that song about Jesus, or were we singing to the Father? Should we we pray, Father God, in Jesus' name, and, and, oh, but what about the Holy Spirit and his role? It's okay. Don't think too hard about it. Don't overcomplicate it. Which, whichever one you relate to most. In fact, that's what I find with most people, is whichever part of God you relate to the best is the one that you seem to talk to and to pray to and to sing to. There, there are some people, there are some people that they've had a rough time with their father growing up. And they have a hard time praying to the father and receiving from him and seeing God as, as a loving and giving father. It's okay. Pray to Jesus for a while. I believe he wants you to know him as a loving and giving father. But the bottom line is he wants you to relate to him however that needs to happen. God wants to be intimately involved in our lives to cause us to become whole in every aspect. And there are times that we may sing a song that says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Move and have your way. We are still singing to God. And he is coming and he is moving in our midst. So I'm I'm saying all this, why is it important to recognize this aspect of God and who he is? Why is it important that he's three, but he's still one? Because Genesis said that we are created in his image. And if we are created in the image of somebody that has three parts, guess what we have? That wasn't a trick question. Thank you for those of you that said three parts. You're trying to, you're, you're sitting there thinking, uh, long flowing beard, white robe, shiny eyes, what do we have in his image? We have three parts. If God exists in three parts and it says, let us make man in our image, he's going to be reflecting who we are and the nature and the character of what we have. We have three parts. And we don't often think of them as distinct. We, we don't sit there and parse out what part of our parts are parts. Come on, like, like the chicken nuggets, right? Parts is parts. How many of you are old enough to remember that commercial? And you never wanted to eat a chicken nugget again after that. Parts are parts. We don't often parse it out that way, but we commonly call our parts our spirit, our soul, and our body. And those, those are the parts that we have. And, and the thing about God is 
he exists in perfect unity with his parts. And that's why he could have a conversation with himself. And it wasn't weird. It was, he, wasn't, he doesn't have mental issues. He wasn't, you know, if we talk to ourselves, they start looking at us funny. But God has a conversation with himself. And it just displays, I am in perfect harmony and unity with myself. So we have these three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And watch, uh, here is a note Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And he expressed this desire to them in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He said, now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He says spirit, soul, and body. If you, if you study that verse out, <clears throat> the word spirit is the Greek word pneuma. And that is the part of us that animates us. How many of you have been to a funeral home and you've seen a dead body? And you, you look at that dead body and what do you know? They're not there anymore. Right? How do you know? There's just something that changes. When, when we die and our spirit leaves this flesh, there is something that changes. Our pneuma, the spirit, is the part of us that animates us, that, that gives us life. It's when God leaned over to Adam and breathed on him and he became a living being. The spirit is in us and it gives us life. But he also used the word soul in that verse. It's, it's the Greek word suke, which... It, where we get the word psyche, where the, all the psychologists try to figure out which part of you needs fixed. Your, your id or your superego or all these, your mind, your will and emotions, are they in harmony together? That's just the part of us that's unseen that drives our decisions and our behaviors and our beliefs. But we also have what Paul says in this verse, the Greek word soma, which is our body, like it or not. I like it. <laughs> I like my body and feed and pamper it a little too much sometimes. But Paul writes this verse to the church in Thessalonica and he says, I want you to prosper and to be well and to be kept set apart for God in all three parts of your being. He wasn't just saying, oh, I want you to get saved. I want your spirit to to know Jesus and to come alive. He says, your entire being... I want your body to know the life-giving power of Jesus and to be healed. I want your soul to be at one and to be whole in that place where you're you're not worried all the time. You're not frightened. You're not afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. I want you to be at peace in your soul. That's his desire. And I think it's fascinating that he calls on God as the God of peace and harmony to speak over our entire being. I, I believe that we receive from God in the area that we want to know him as. So, for example, if I want to know God as the Savior and I begin to meditate on that, Jesus, you are the Savior, I begin to experience the effects of salvation in my life. If, if I want to know God as the lover of my soul, come on, how many of you know God loves us? Some of us, we meet people that they have a really hard time receiving that to know that God really loves them. They think, oh, well, maybe God could save me, maybe he could redeem me, but there's no way he could love me. We need to begin to meditate on he is a lover. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us. And the things, the things that we need to know him as, let's begin to meditate on those things. I need to know you as the lover, the savior, the provider, the reconciler. Whatever you need in your life, begin to look for, God, how do you reveal yourself as that in Scripture? 
Let me begin to feed myself on that and to meditate on it. And I believe that's why Paul says there's a God of peace and harmony. That he wants to set you apart and release that into every area of your being. To keep you whole, body, soul, and spirit. He asks God to keep them flawless. Because he knows that we go through life and we get wounded. All those, all those definitions of wholeness, we get messed up just by living life sometimes. We go through, through things that are traumatic. We go through things that rob our peace. We go through things that, oh man, after that situation, I could never think right again. I, and I don't know what it is. It's different for every person in this room. You, you may have had something that, man, I can't ever trust men that drive red cars in the age of 40 anymore. Like, I don't know what it was that you went through that robbed your peace, but there's something in there that we go through that causes us to be wounded. And God wants to manifest himself as the God of peace and harmony in spirit, soul, and body. Hmm. Unlike us, God exists in perfect harmony with himself. He, in all of his parts, uh, we, <clears throat> we have a friend named Godfrey who comes and he does some worship sometimes. He wrote a song called, It's a Wonderful Dance. And it was about the Trinity, that God is in such harmony and perfect unity with himself. It's like watching a wonderful dance. God never steps on his own toes. He never gets out of time with the music. He never leads too fast for himself. It is a wonderful dance to watch him. And he wants that same harmony and peace to flow in our lives that we would be one in body, soul, and spirit. We have a hard time comprehending what it would be like to be in complete, total harmony with ourselves. I'll just say that again. Because I know if we went around this room and I said, have you ever thought about how cool it would be to have a conversation with yourself? Like God did in Genesis, to sit down, be so in harmony with his body, soul, and spirit that he could say, hey, let us go make man in our image. I bet you, if we went around this whole room, we have never comprehended what would it be like to be able to be in that kind of harmony, to talk to ourselves, to plan amongst ourselves and still be us. God wants us to be whole. Our brokenness is why Jesus came to earth. And we all, we're pretty familiar with John 3.16, that God sent his only son because he loved us and he wanted to save us. Here's the verse right after John 3.16. Watch this in John 3.17. I have it on the screen for you in the amplified version. It says, God did not send the son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, or to pass sentence on the world. But the whole world might find, watch these words with me, salvation and be made safe and sound through him. The, the word used for salvation in that verse is the Greek word sozo. And it means to save, to heal, and to deliver. Like literally, if you study it out and look it up, it gives all three of those aspects of what it means to be saved. I don't think it's a coincidence that the word that they used for salvation, to save, to heal, and deliver, has three parts to its meaning, just like we are a three-part person. He wants to save us spirit. He wants us to be sound in our mind. He wants us to be sound in our body. He wants us to be safe in where we go. He wants salvation to come to every part of us. The definition of salvation doesn't apply to just one part of our being. He's not satisfied with just being the savior of your spirit. I got one right to that this morning. He's not satisfied with just saving your spirit so you can go live with him one day in heaven. I think heaven's going to be awesome, but if that's all we think salvation is, we have shortchanged the power of God to produce something in us. 
He wants to be the savior of our spirit, our soul, and our body. He wants you to have peace in your mind right now. He doesn't want you to have peace in your mind someday after you die and you see him face to face. He wants salvation to operate in us now. He wants healing to come in our body. That's part of why he said, do this in remembrance of me all the time. Because I believe when we receive, we get healing in our bodies. There are things that Jesus died and rose again to pay for that we shortchange it if we think all he did was save our spirit. God is pretty awesome. The cross and the resurrection was for us to be whole in every aspect of our being. I wanted to show the graphic that we were using for this series just to tell you a little bit about where it came from. Uh, The circle there is us. The symbol inside that circle is the symbol of the Trinity. If you've ever grown up in a denominational setting or, or a more traditional church, you might have seen that symbol on, in artwork or on the wall somewhere. That just represents the Trinity. And then uh, we put some colors in there because we, we saw this cool thing this week about colors. How many of you are artists or want to be artists? Or how many of you remember finger painting when you were three? Come on, at least one person remembers that. There's this cool thing called additive colors and when you shine a light that's red and you mix it with a light that's blue and you mix it with a light that's green do you know what happens thank you for that somebody is curious when you begin to shine different colors of lights they don't get darker they get brighter and so those aspects i I put those aspects up there just to represent our spirit soul and body and how god wants us to be in harmony and come together as a whole person. And the more wholeness that we experience in our life, the brighter our light shines. It doesn't turn dark, it begins to turn white. This this works with lights. If you try to do this with printer ink or paint, it just becomes a brown gooey mess. We're talking about light right now. So don't go home and say, I'm going to try to make it white by adding all these dark colors. This is when you shine lights together, which God said through Jesus to his disciples, we are the light of the world. And it's hard to be the light out of the world if we are not in wholeness with ourselves. If we're broken and damaged to the point where we can't be focused together to let the light shine through us, it's hard for him to reach people. But the more that we get whole, come on, this is a call to us as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, to pursue being whole in our mind, in our soul, in our spirit, our body. Wherever you need healed, he wants to do it because it helps him reach the world through us. Our light shines brighter. And we can have peace and joy and wholeness because he put himself inside of us. That trinity the God that exists in perfect harmony with himself, the God that has peace, spirit, soul, and body, he lives in us. You can't say, oh, I could never be whole like that. I could never have that peace. Because the God of peace himself dwells in you. He put his life in you. He planted something right in the middle of you that begins to flow out of you to the other parts of your being. Don't shortchange what God wants to do in us to be whole. Just in a couple minutes today before we go, I want to talk about being whole in our spirit. Because that's this is the first week of this series. We're going to talk next week. We have an awesome guest coming next week. And she's sitting in the front row today. And she's going to talk about being whole in our soul. But today, just I want to give you a few thoughts about what it means to be whole in our spirit. This is the first step towards experiencing wholeness in the rest of our being. 
If we are not whole in our spirit, you will never get rightly aligned. You will never get complete healing in your life. There, there's a lot of self-help programs out there that will try to fix you, put band-aids on it, give you counseling. But the first step to truly being whole and being healed in our lives is to be whole in our spirit. To let God do something in us. There, there was a problem that we had. Uh, there was a time, even if you are in this room this morning, there was a time in our lives where we were all dead. That this, this is a reality. Sin got into our lives and it killed us. And we were all walking around dead. How many of you know that's a problem? It's, it's hard to have peace and demonstrate to the rest of the world that we have wholeness, that we're healed, we're, we're content, we have perfect harmony in our lives, in our mind, in our body. It's hard to represent that to anybody when you're dead. And that is the position we found ourselves in. In, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, His fullness fills you, though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. Come on, what good news we have to carry to the world. His fullness came to dwell in us, even though we used to be dead. What does that mean? We weren't dead in our physical body. Come on, I I don't know anybody in this room right now that you actually were dead and then came back up to life. We were dead spiritually. There was something inside us in the very core of our being, who we are, that had no ability to produce life. Sin had killed us. Come on, think, how many of you had to get a new battery during this stretch of cold weather for your car? At least a couple hands. I, I was smart enough to do it in advance. We, we had a week where it was only a little bit cold, and I noticed <laughs> like it was having problems, so I went and got it. If your car battery is dead, the rest of your car can't do what it was designed to do. There, there is something that animates your car, and it's only about this big, and it sits right in, under the hood in the front. That's a very technical car talk terms there. I know where to put the gas. I know how to check the oil. I can change a battery. That's about the limit of my, don't come to me for car advice. Unless it's one of those three things. But your car was created to do something. It was created to have power, to be animated, to move you, to to carry things. It has a purpose and a function, but something so small at the very core of your car If it's dead, your car can't do what it was designed to do. Each of us have gifts and purposes and something that God has called and created us to do. Every human being. I'm not talking about just in this room. I'm not talking about just Christians sitting in churches this morning. Every person on earth has something that God placed in them, that he created them to do. They were made in his image. But if there's deadness at the very core of who we are, we'll never be able to do what we were created to do. And God fixes that by giving life and animating our spirit. In a couple verses down from Ephesians 2, 1, in in chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, But God still loved us with such great love. He's so rich in compassion and mercy that even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, He united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Come on, what happened in that transaction? God breathed life into our spirit and caused it to come alive. And now our spirit is one with him. He comes and dwells inside of us. There's there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 6 that says, He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. The moment you got saved, that's the transaction that happened. Life came back into your spirit. 
There was something dead in the core of who we were, and God breathed life on it and came and restored it. The new life we receive inside of us begins to start flowing outward to affect the rest of us. If you, if you read through scripture, it says, I've, he's, says he's placed a river of living water inside of us. Where does that come from? It comes from our spirit because it's alive and connected to Jesus again. And it begins to flow out and change us. There's something planted in the very middle of who we are that can give life to not just our spirit, but it can begin to flow out to our soul and our body as well. You can't... Uh, how many of you have ever seen the chart where they've got like body, soul, and spirit, and then they draw a line between your spirit and your body and your soul? And they try to say, well, your, your spirit is perfect, but your body and your soul, they don't have much hope until you die and go to heaven. You can't draw that line there. Because, because that leads to what the early church called Gnosticism or dualism, where you begin to say, spirit good, flesh bad. And then what happens, the, the logical outcome of that, Paul was wrestling with in the early church because they began to have people saying, well, Jesus could never come in the flesh because flesh is evil and corrupt. He was just a magical spirit man that came upon a body and then never really inhabited it. Come on, there, study church history. You can do that later. I'm not going to go into it today. But we can't draw that division between our spirit and our soul and our flesh. He wants us to be one and that life to flow into all of us. I think the correct picture is more like this next one on the screen. It's a circle with life in the middle of it that begins to flow out like a river and affect our soul and our body. I also believe that this is how the baptism of the Holy Spirit works. In your spirit, you've come alive. We, you know, we are a charismatic church. We believe there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is separate from the Holy Spirit that you received when you got saved. I believe the way it works is you receive his spirit in you as a down payment is what scripture calls it. He comes and dwells in you, gives life to your spirit. What I believe happens when you get baptized in the spirit, why do people speak in tongues? Why do they shake sometimes? Why do they feel overwhelming joy? It's because what's inside begins to immerse your soul and your body. The Holy Spirit who does dwell in you begins to come upon you in ways that, man, my, my body never experienced this before. My soul hasn't had this kind of peace or joy before because it's flowing out of the Spirit inside of me and beginning to saturate. Come on, the word baptism is the word baptizo. It means to submerge and immerse. The same word that it talks about water baptism where you get dunked in the tank, you get submerged and immersed. That's what Jesus and John the Baptist said. There's going to be a time where you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They use the same Greek word, baptizo. So to immerse or submerge, and it means what's inside of you flows out to the outside of you and begins to saturate you. That is the picture that happens when we get a new life, though. Our spirit has a well of life, a tree of life, a river. Whatever picture you want to use, it's inside of our spirit, and we need to let it grow to affect our body and our soul. We should have an expectation for life to flow from inside of us and affect our whole being, but it doesn't happen if we're not born again, if we don't have life inside of us. It doesn't come by just being a good person, by going to a self-help group. It, it comes from meeting Jesus and his saving power and his Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us.
Man, I'm running long. Are you guys okay if I read one more verse, though? All right. I'll, I'll count that as a yes. I had one more thought about being whole in our spirit. And it's a verse that I always wondered and wrestled about. I'm not going to tell you that after 2,000 years of theological debates that I'm the end-all, be-all answer on this verse. I want you to read this, go home, pray about it, see what it means to you. But in 2 Corinthians 7-2, it says this, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Anybody else ever read that verse and wonder about it? Because we, we've been taught all this time, oh, my spirit is perfect now, I'm, I'm totally alive, there's nothing that can damage my spirit. And Paul thought it was important enough to write the Corinthian church to say, keep yourself free from everything that would contaminate your body and your spirit. And he, he uses the word pneuma there. He's talking spirit. He doesn't use the word for your mind, your will, and your emotions. Keep yourselves free from everything that contaminates your body and your spirit because we have promises. If you, if you read back in chapter 6, the promises that Paul's referring to are the fact that we are the temple of God and that he lives in us. That's, those are the promises that, God, that Paul is specifically referring to. You're a temple. God wants to live in you. And he says, since we have these promises, purify yourselves from everything that would contaminate your body and your spirit. I think... Paul is implying in this verse that it's more than just a natural checklist. Come on, he's, he's writing to people that came out of Judaism that were used to, I got these commands I got to follow and I'll be right with God, right? He's giving them the implication that it's not just about your body. It's not just about what you do to keep the rules or to keep a list. There's a spiritual dynamic to our relationship that we have with God that we have to guard. What can defile our spirit? I have an answer for that. I think it's anything that competes for God's place in our life. Anything we make an idol, anything we devote our heart to, I think those are things, I don't think it undoes your salvation. I think it just messes up your perception of your relationship with God. It's like we can do certain things in our lives. Come on, Paul spent whole chapters talking about everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. There are things that we do that I, I picture, I had this picture, it's like putting in earplugs in our spiritual ears. Come on, there, there are things that contaminate body and spirit that God wants us to remove from our lives. Because when we engage in them, when we do them, it's like putting blinders on. I can't see what God is doing anymore. Because I've got these blinders. I can't hear his voice because I put these earplugs in and stopped up my ears. I, I can't feel his, his tug on my heart because I've given my heart to something else. Well, Pastor Chris, now you're talking about works. No. It's still not about works. Come on, grace doesn't remove our responsibility to be faithful to God, but grace empowers us to live free from sin. And you still, even all these things, Paul's telling the Corinthian church, you have a part to play. You, you have been set apart for God. You have been sanctified. It's a done deal. What you have not been released from is the process of growing up. That, that is really what he's after, to become mature and to put away some of these things that are hindering me in my walk with Jesus. 
And grace empowers us to leave those things behind and give our hearts fully to him. Here's, here's I, I lied when I said only one more verse. I got one more verse. Just to prove that it's not about self-effort. Okay? Philippians 2 13 says this, God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. It's still not about my own want to, my self-will, my self-effort, trying to work up enough to let that thing go. It's still, God, I need you to help me let go of this. Give me the passion to do what pleases you. And this, this is our homework for this week. Uh, I want to, and I said, I promised it was not going to be very complicated homework. It's not going to be giving away money this week. It's not going to be decluttering our lives. This is all I want you to do this week. Five minutes in the morning, when when you first get up, five minutes, and I don't know when you normally do, if you do a devotion at a set time every day, if you read your Bible, if you pray, I want you to take five minutes in the morning and remind yourself, I'm a carrier of God's presence. Just, just the first thing when you get up in the morning, just take five minutes to think about that concept. Lord, I carry your presence. What's that look like? Show me a verse today. What's that mean like? Show me, God, give me a picture of something later in the day where I could be an ambassador for you or carry your presence. Just take that short five minutes to meditate on what does it mean to carry his presence. Since we have these great promises that we are a temple, that we carry him everywhere that we go, that we are filled with him, what does that look like in my life today? Come on, I said it's it's not complicated homework, it's not costing you anything, but it's going to revolutionize our lives. Just to take that time to say, Lord, I believe I carry your presence. Show me what that looks like. Come meet with me right now. Before I hear another voice, before the the schedule gets out of control, before we get so busy that we can't even figure out when we're going to eat lunch today, Lord, remind me that I carry your presence. So simple, but so valuable. Let's go ahead and stand together. We we are going to take our five minutes every morning and remind ourselves that we carry God's presence. But before we go today, there's there's two things I wanted to ask you about. If if you've never started a relationship with Jesus and you don't know what it means to be whole, to say, man, I, I, I've been living without peace in my mind, my will, my emotions, all these things. I, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. I'd ask that you come up and, and get some prayer this morning and let us introduce you to him. All these things we're talking about, the healing and the wholeness he wants to bring, it starts from knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. And the other thing I'd like to do, uh, since I talked about it, uh, we're going to have a few people from the ministry team up front. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you're, you have no concept when I'm talking about, what does it mean to, to speak in tongues or to be saturated with His presence or to be overwhelmed by His love, whatever that looks like, uh, I'd like you to come up front and get some prayer this morning. I believe scripturally that that is the way to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you have other believers pray and believe with you and you ask God, Lord, I want to receive everything that you have for me. So that's what's going to be going. If I could have some guys from the ministry team up front, if you if you would like to meet Jesus for the first time or you would like to get prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, please come up front and do that. But let me pray for the rest of us before we go today. God, we thank you for your saving power. We thank you that you breathed life into something inside of us where we were dead. 
in our sins, doomed in our sins, as the verse said, and you came and saved us and you breathed life into us. Lord, we ask that even this week, as we remind ourselves that we carry your presence, let that life that's in our spirit, where we commune with you, where we worship you in spirit and truth, let that flow out of our inmost being and begin to impact our soul and our body. Lord, release healing in this place where people need it in their bodies. Lord, release peace in our mind and our emotions and all the places where we can get traumatized in life. Let your wholeness come to us. And then, Lord, what we have received, let us be faithful to turn around and give it away to others. Bless us indeed as we go from this place, Lord. I thank you that you are with us everywhere that we go, that your goodness and your mercy flows in our lives. Let us be a light for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's, can we give Jesus one more hand in this place before we go?